I awoke to the sound of my phone buzzing on the bedside table. Hello, I said groggily. You're that paranormal hunter, right? I had the website changed, new business cards made, and even sunk some money into an ad campaign. Still, all callers insisted on referring to me as the paranormal hunter, a term originally coined by tabloid papers who made me out to be some sort of monster-fighting hero. It wouldn't be so bad if it didn't negatively affect my livelihood. Those articles make me a laughing stock to skeptics everywhere, including the local authorities I sought to work with on occasion. Actually, it's paranormal consultant. Right, sorry. I, I need your help. She sounded just like the rest. Scared, confused, and at the end of her rope. It was the last call anyone made in situations like this. A desperate cry for help when all else failed. It's as if dialing the number was some admittance of insanity. Or worse, a confirmation that the things that go bump in the night are really out there, waiting in the shadows to pounce on their next victims. I'm here to help. What can I do for you? She let out a long sigh before continuing. Well, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> That's what they all said. I received this odd list of rules in the mail. I didn't pay it any mind at first, thinking it was a mix-up at the post office, but now every time I unknowingly break a rule, let me guess, there's some sort of strange paranormal consequence. Yes, exactly. How did you know? Lists like these had been popping up all over the country, some in hotel rooms, others in apartments or employee manuals. They were all the same. Supernatural calamity befalls any victim who refuses to follow the guidelines. When enough rules are broken, it usually results in the person's death. Not to worry, I've dealt with this kind of thing before. I'll take your case. Just text me your address and I'll be right over. Thank you so much. I wasn't sure you'd believe me. In my line of work, it pays to have an open mind. After disconnecting and throwing on some clothes, I got into the car and took off in the direction of her house. It was in town, so the drive was a short one. Upon arriving, my new client rushed down to greet me. Oh, thank God you're here. I'm at my wit's end. Her arms were crossed and breathing labored. She was clearly out of sorts. Sorry, where's my manners? I'm Jessica. Nice to make your acquaintance. I'm Henry. Jessica was young, maybe mid to late 20s, dark hair, freckled skin. I probably would have found her attractive if she didn't remind me of my daughter. Please, come inside. We walked to the front door and entered the house. After hanging up my hat, I took a look around. It was a lovely home, quaint but spacious. Can I get you some coffee? <laughs> no thanks. If it's all the same to you, I'd prefer to get to work right away. Do you have the list? She picked up a sheet of paper from the coffee table and handed it to me. There were ten rules in total. How many rules have you broken so far? She looked embarrassed. Seven? All together? That's good, Jessica. That means there's still time. Still time for what? She asked. 
time to end things. I pulled a lighter out of my pocket and held the flame beneath the page. What are you doing? Not many people know this, but burning a list before all the rules are broken summons the demon who wrote it. She glared at me, petrified, a look of absolute fear across her face. Demon? The flame spread to the outer edges of the paper. Yes, these lists are powerful demonic contracts. With every rule you break, you're tempting fate, inviting the demon to absorb your soul. My soul? The page had all but burned up now. Yes, they feed off them. With lists like this, the demon has access to your soul. Every misstep is another chance to feed. After all rules are broken, your soul is theirs completely, as per the unwritten terms of the contract. The sheet of paper turned to ash and fell to the floor. Jessica started to ask another question, but I held my hand up to stop her. Wait, it's coming. I watched as a cloud of smoke formed in the center of the living room. It grew until it reached the ceiling and swirled around faster with each passing second. After a minute or so, it dissipated, revealing the demon within. Hello, Henry. He took the form of a man in turn-of-the-century attire, gray hair, gray mustache. Jessica walked over and stood by his side. I see you've met my daughter. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't surprised at this revelation, but all the signs of foul play were there that I should have picked up on. No car in the driveway, no family photos on the wall, and no signs of a struggle in the house, despite Jessica having broken most of the rules. What is this? The demon laughed. (laughs) You've made quite the impression downstairs with your heroic shenanigans over the years. I've been tasked with eliminating you. I reached into my coat for a weapon, but the demon gestured for me to stop. Please, Henry, I have another idea in mind. Why don't we make a deal? I scoffed. (laughs) A deal, huh? And what exactly did you have in mind? He smiled. Give me your soul, and I'll bring back your daughter. My heart sank. Chelsea was the whole reason I hunted supernatural things in the first place. She died over a decade ago in a house fire. One that I discovered after years of investigation was caused by some unknown entity. I was never the same after that. Instead of grieving in the way most parents do, I made my life's work to track down her killer and everything like it. What do you say, Henry? It's a fair trade. I would give anything to self Chelsea, even my soul, but not like this. Demonic resurrections always came with side effects. It was very likely that if Chelsea was brought back, she would succumb to an insatiable bloodthirst not unlike that of demons themselves. I could never put her through something so terrible. Not a chance. His lips contorted into a wicked grin. I thought you might say that. That's why I had my daughter slip something into your pocket. Confused, I reached into my coat and pulled out a scrap of paper. There were three rules written on it. One, don't enter the house. Two, 
don't burn the list. Three, accept the demon's deal. That son of a bitch. Without knowing it, I had broken all of the rules on the list, giving this demon full access to my soul. All he had to do now was come and take it. Sorry, Henry. You're mine now. Their skin melted away, dripping from their frames like candle wax, revealing the red connective tissue underneath. Then their eyes turned black and their mouths opened wide. No teeth or tongues within, just empty pits of darkness. One kiss would suck the life right out of me. Before I could reach into my coat again, Jessica leapt across the room and pinned me to the wall, forcing her mouth against my face. My soul began to untether itself from me. The sensation was a strange one. There was an immense feeling of pain, but also heartache, the likes of which I've only felt once before. As soul and body departed, something bubbled to the surface. It wasn't so much my life flashing before my eyes as it was a single memory playing out in my mind. I'll be fine, Dad. Stop worrying. I know, it's just that... Chelsea interjected. I'm your little girl and it's your job to worry about me. (laughs) Am I that predictable? She smiled. Only when it comes to caring about me. I looked around at the house and it, it saddened me. I was happy for Chelsea, but I couldn't believe how quickly she'd grown up. You know you can come visit sometime, right? It's only a two-hour flight. I can pay for the ticket. Just say the word whenever you feel you want to... Dad, I'm still your daughter. I'll visit when I can, but you have to come to terms with the fact that I'm an adult with a life of my own. Between work and college, I can't always come when you call. Okay? I laughed as a tear rolled down my cheek. (laughs) So, you're the parent now, is that it? She laughed. If you don't leave soon, you're going to miss your flight. She was right. I admit, I was cutting it pretty close. I know, I just... I'm going to miss you, that's all. I'll miss you too, Dad. I'm only a phone call away. With that, I left the house and drove to the airport. Little did I know, but that would be the last time I ever saw my little girl alive. I hadn't thought of that day in quite some time. It was locked away deep in my heart for fear of the feelings it would invoke in me. In this dire moment, my life hanging in the balance had served as a reminder. A reminder of why I did the things no one else would dare do. Why I fought to save others and kill the things that left evil in their wake. It was all for her. With what strength I had had left, I reached into my coat, pulled out a blade, and plunged it into Jessica's side. She backed off and fell to the floor, writhing in pain. Silver. I couldn't kill the demons, but it sure as hell slowed them down. Before the man could come to his daughter's aid, I quickly sliced my hand open and used the blood to paint a sigil on the wall. One push to the center and the demons would vanish, cast back into the underworld where they belong. It was a temporary fix, but I was in no condition to fiend them off. Henry, wait! The man called out to me, my hand over the sigil ready to send him packing. Do you want to know what happened to Chelsea? 
He was stalling, I could tell, but I had the upper hand and could afford to hold off for a moment. It might have been foolish, but I gave in to my curiosity and listened. She screamed when the flames overtook her. (laughs) Her skin peeled and blaked while she cried. He was lying. He didn't know what happened. Still, I couldn't bring myself to turn away. Even a fabricated story about my daughter was better than no story at all. As morbid as it sounds, it made me feel... closer to her. His words offered a setting in which I could fantasize about saving her, something I often did but struggled to picture. It was an addiction of mine. She was so terrified she couldn't stop speaking nonsense, counting backwards from ten. I killed her before the fire could just to shut her up. My blood ran cold. That was something I taught her when she was little. Daddy, help! I woke to Chelsea screaming and ran into her bedroom. Sweetie, what's wrong? Her breathing was sporadic. Something certainly had her rattled. It's here, the monster! It was another one of her night terrors. Ever since her mother died, she would get them at least twice a week. Every time, I would come to the rescue and calm her down. Okay, sweetie, it was just a bad dream. You're still sleeping. She wouldn't let up. It's gonna get me! I took her in my arms and held her. Remember what I taught you. Count backwards from ten, and it will all fade away. She whimpered for a moment and began counting. Ten, nine, eight, seven... Her breasts were becoming more even and controlled. Six, five, four, three. She stopped crying and loosened her grip on my arm. Two, one. And just like that, she was awake, free of the nightmares that plagued her. All right, sweetie, you're okay now. Go back to sleep. She offered me an innocent smile and crawled back under the covers. I left the door open just a crack, enough so that I could hear her and come running if she needed me, just like I did every time. He had to be telling the truth. He could have never known about that otherwise. Well, Henry, I'm the one who killed her all those years ago. She had a list just like yours and broke every rule. I showed up to collect. My heart nearly stopped right then and there. All this time spent chasing monsters and he was right there in the same room with me, the thing responsible for taking my little girl's life. Come on, Henry. Don't you want to avenge your daughter? My hand hovered over the sigil. Jessica was still on the floor. I took everything in me not to pull away and lash out. And that's just what he wanted. He knew I didn't have the energy needed to kill him, not with my soul tattered. She begged for her life, you know. It was pathetic. I was dangerously close to taking the bait. All I could see was Chelsea's house going up in flames. You were her father. Why didn't you save her, Henry? I needed to calm down. Otherwise, I would surely retaliate and be as good as dead. No more hunting, no more lives to save, no killing this demon once and for all. Some father you were, 
leaving your girl out in the world to die all alone. I counted backwards in my head. Ten. Nine. Eight. What's the matter, Henry? Are you too scared to fight back? He was working. The anger and sadness were still there, but his voice was fading from the foreground. Seven. Six. Five. I can only imagine what's happening to her soul downstairs. Oh, the humanity. The adrenaline in my veins was slowing. Four. Three. Two. This is the only chance you'll ever have, Henry. It's now or never. One. Calmer than I was before, I pushed my hand into the sigil with as much force as I could muster. He cried out, but it was no use. His and Jessica's bodies vanished in a flash of light, leaving behind only an unpleasant, burning odor and faint impressions. They were there on the carpet. Thank God that's over. I stumbled out of the car and got to the driver's seat, feeling a little bit better than I had just moments before driving off. I took one last look at the house, feeling a regret similar to when I left Chelsea years ago. This isn't over. With that, I took off down the road, wounded, but with some newfound clarity. I knew what I have to do, and no person or thing is going to stop me. That demon's life will be mine, but with the information he gave me, there's another matter I have to attend to first. I'm going to save Chelsea's soul. Quick warning, uh, the second story in tonight's collection is kind of intense. It has nothing to do with, like, nothing super triggering, but it is very graphic, it's very gory, it's very gross, so if that's something you don't want to listen to, just go into the description or the pinned comment, and the timestamps will be down there if you want to skip it. Uh, There are two more stories after this one, so you're not missing too much. Just wanted to let you know. If you can hear me, that means I might be able to escape and I hope you will listen carefully. I punched the button on the voice recorder app, the grease on my finger leaving a faint smudge in the middle of the screen. I tried to look stern, but looking down at the woman that used to be Anne Crowley, I couldn't help but break into a large grin. That, I said, thrusting my finger at the small fallen held in my other hand, is so fucking precious. When I squatted down near her, the woman tried to back away further, but she was already at the end of the short tether that trailed out to bands around her wrists, ankles, and neck. Tears were streaming from her wide eyes, and the fear I saw there threatened to ruin my good mood, but I gamely pushed on. Seriously, it's like something you'd see in one of those, what do you call them, found footage movies. You know the dumb things where everybody is supposed to be real, so they can justify bad camera work and low budgets. I tapped a finger on my chin, feeling the cooling blood starting to congeal there. Shit. If I had known you were going to try and do a little dramatic message, I would have given you a video camera and a flashlight. Then a thought struck me. I poked at the phone again, my eyebrows raising in surprise and delight. Oh no, it's too much. You shot a video with your phone too? Why both? Even through her fear, she knew enough by now to respond when I asked a direct question. I I was going to try and email it out if I got a signal, and I realized the video file would, would be too big. It would, it would take too long. 
Chuckling, I nodded. <laughs> That's smart thinking. Well, before we start getting you fitted for your gear, let's watch it together. I shuffled closer and plopped down, holding the phone where she could see it too. When I held out my arm, she moved under it, and I gave her a squeeze, trying my best to ignore her trembling. And then I hit play. My name is Anne Crowley, and I've been abducted. It happened about two weeks ago, I think, but I'm having to base that on the date showing on my phone, assuming it hasn't been messed with. I was walking out to my car to go to work one morning, and someone came up behind me with a rag. I tried to fight back, but they were far too strong, and when I woke up, I was here. I don't know where here is. I'm in a large brick room. It looks like it might have once been a boiler room or something in a large building, but I don't see any boiler or anything else now other than a couple of air vents, a door at the far end, and the ropes and chains binding me to the floor. I've tried to listen for any sounds that might be clues, but the room is either soundproof or in a very quiet place. I'm sorry I'm not more help. The man that took me is a monster. While he's never tried to bother me sexually, he has physically tortured me with a variety of implements. Razors, hot metal rod, a piece of bamboo, and roaches are some of his favorites. Worse, he seems to be trying to break me down mentally, the way I've heard people are treated when they're prisoners of war sometimes. He won't let me sleep. He talks to me for hours, and based on my limited sleep patterns and the strange thoughts I've started to experience, I have every idea that my food and water is being drugged with something. He's an extremely large man with a gaunt face and long arms and legs. He's not fat, but his stomach bulges out a great deal, almost like something is wrong. He reminds me of a big, pale spider. Oh, and I almost forgot the most distinctive thing. He's wearing some kind of clown face. It's not a mask, and I don't think it's makeup either. I, I think he actually tattooed lines around his eyes and mouth like you see on some clowns. Vertical lines above and below his eye, a circle around his mouth curving up into a smile, though the circle isn't complete, and the line trails off into his left... No, 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 his, his right cheek. Like whoever was doing that tattoo didn't get the chance to finish it. But if I can send this message, I'm going to send it either to Mom or to Brett, if it'll go through. He gave me my phone back a couple of days ago, and at first I thought it was a sign I was finally going to go free, but then I realized no matter what I do, there's no signal here. He'd clearly charged the phone before giving it back, but even being careful, I'm already at 40% battery. So I'll finish the message here. Please, send help if you get this. Look for me. I'm alive. I just... I need to get out of here. I don't know what he's going to do with me, but the things he's telling me, these crazy, awful things, are starting to make sense to me. Every day I feel more of myself slipping away, and that scares me more than dying or any pain he's inflicted on me. Please get me out of here before I'm gone. Mom. Brett. I love you. I gave her a squeeze as the video finished. See? What did I tell you? Even more precious. 
Standing back up, I kicked her in the face. Not hard enough to break anything, but enough to send her flailing until the band around her neck snapped her back. That's not for trying to get rescued. That's for being so stupid about it. She looked slightly dazed, but her eyes found mine again after a moment. She still had some anger and fear left, but she was close now. Still, I'm glad to hear that you're starting to appreciate your lessons. We'll start those again tomorrow, but for now, you need to get fitted into your gear. I yelled a command into the tongue of the rat god, Withers, that I served since that time in mine all those years ago, and the door at the far end swung open. Two of my hounds, formerly Jessica and William Fortney of Pensacola, Florida, shuffled into the room carrying two bulging sacks. Like all my hounds, they were silent in their work, both due to their training and their lack of vocal cords. But like all my babies, they looked so happy. The missing lips helped, of course, but it was mainly the eyes. Their gazes were bright and attentive, ready to do whatever I might require. They drew near and I patted their heads, eliciting a tremble of pleasure and the quick sucking and expelling of dark saliva, which I allowed as a form of wet purring, I suppose. They were both wearing the light blue coveralls I gave to all the hounds, and I saw with great pride that the clothes were still clean and unstained. A few of the hounds had regular bouts of incontinence, and nothing disappointed me more than that lack of self-control. But these two had retained more of their intelligence. They were not capable of being a torch crow, but they were certainly leaders among the pack. But this one, this one would be a crow. With a slight gesture, the two hounds were on her, holding her down and tightening their restraints until she was on all fours and could barely move very little, except for her head, which they kept still. That was the important part. I removed the body harness from one sack and began securing it to her, tightening the straps and threading the chains through old and new openings in her flesh. And then came the other sack, which contained some of my finest work yet. It was a helmet and mask of sorts, inspired somewhat by a medieval plague doctor's mask with its small goggle eyes and long, narrow beak. But I'd made several improvements. To begin with, the crow's mouth was partially open, with serrated chains running along the edge of both the top and bottom. I considered using some kind of gasoline or electronic motor for their motion, but as with so many things, I knew there was a better way. Instead, they were connected to chains that ran down into the body harness and into her arms itself. As she moved her arms to and fro, so too would the chains move back and forth. That combined with the mouth opening and closing based on their position of her head would allow my beautiful light bearer to rent flesh and ease and eat her fill. Because that was the other biggest improvement. Atop the head sat a small iron basket filled with slow burning wood. It provided the right amount of light, and while it would still be very hot in the crow's head, it did provide enough padding that it should now do more than some light blistering over time. And the health of my babies was paramount. I had selected Ann Crowley, based almost entirely at random due to her last name, but I still left her like she had been with me for years. She had enough antibiotics in her system that even the fitting of the harness and the head were very painful. She would not get an infection from it. And I would continue to tend to her wounds as she needed until her body adapted the same way her mind was starting to. Until she truly was my torch crow.
A month later and she was ready. I couldn't help but cry a little as I looked at her standing there, proud and fierce, the goggles of the mask steaming slightly at her quick, excited breaths. She'd kept her lips because she would keep her voice. As I held the knife aloft in one hand, I could hear those dry, cracked bits of flesh rubbing against each other with barely contained excitement. Not wanting to hold her in suspense for any longer, I began. For years, I wandered in the darkness. I knew the truth and the power of the rat god, but it was at a loss as to how to truly worship him. I killed, I tortured, but it was without purpose and without underlying plan or beauty. I sniffed slightly, predictably even, because this part always choked me up a bit. But then, then I found others that were of like minds, even if their faith took a different form, a family of sorts that is working toward the swiftly approaching day of reckoning. The representative has shown me my part to play as much as I've shown you yours. I leaned forward, stroking the side of her mask with the hand that held the knife. I know that these lessons were hard to learn, but the most important things always are. I held the index finger in my other hand to the ceiling. And as we know, there is a better way. Immediately, my wonderful crow raised her own hand, pointing up. She croaked out a response with a great deal of effort. The time is nigh. I felt the growing excitement moving through my limbs like a current at her words. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. I gave a command, and a hound entered the room with a small sack containing needle, thread, and antiseptic. I patted it absently and turned back to the crow. This was her time, her glory. As I've told you, I have a large tumor on the outer wall of my abdomen. The doctor said it was malignant, but and it could be easily removed. I told them to fuck off, as I knew it was a sign, a mark, a small mewling child made of rotten flesh and corruption that I would carry to term and then impart to another, my best and brightest, during our final days of preparation. You are that other, and that time is now. Without another word, I set to cutting into my stomach, careful not to cut deeper than necessary to reach the precious growth within. The hound began shuffling excitedly at the sight of fresh blood, but it knew better than to lick the floor unless I gave the word. Less than five minutes, and it was out. It was the size of an orange, but a wonderful mixture of green, black, and red. I had the thought that it looked like a gigantic ball of rotten Christmas candy, and it made me laugh. Slippery as it was, with meat and blood, I didn't want to risk dropping it so I handed it into my crow's eager hands. It had felt hard in spots, but it would be no match for my crow. As I watched, she bit down on the tumor with her beak and began flailing her arms this way and that, the chains sawing through the thicker outer layer with a squelching quickness. In moments, it was broken down enough that she tilted her head back and began consuming it, her wet, hungry smacking making me so happy that I began weeping a little. Afterward, I sewed myself up and went to lie down. I'd need a few days of rest, but there was time. Time to rest, time to plan and prepare. Time to dream. Riding high on the exhilaration of the day and several powerful drugs, I slipped into one of those dreams. When I woke later, I knew it tasted of prophecy. 
I was at the lead of a convoy of semis as they rolled into an isolated town on the edge of nowhere. The power plant had gone down half an hour ago, and people were fumbling around in the dark. Several were outside in their yards or the street, wondering why at least their phones didn't work. They would pause and watch as the semis rolled by, a combination of curiosity and fear passing over them as their eyes followed the truck's route toward the center of town. Then the semis stopped, and the sides of the trailers fell open, revealing all of the fearsome hounds and beautiful torch crows that would light and lead their way with their blazing flames and their terrible voices. In the dream, I remember climbing on the top of the truck cab and watching as my children screamed out into the arteries of the town like some kind of cleansing poison. Chemotherapy for the soul. Even in the dark and at a distance, I could make out my own special one, a crow that had partaken of my fleshy child. My heart was filled with pride and love and joy. Then I saw a woman, her face a bloody mask of terror and sorrow, climbing up into the roof of the cab with me. She was crying and begging me to help, begging me to stop this. She was wailing about those things, taking her children. I knew she didn't understand, and I tried to be tolerant, but I can only bear so much. What I can't bear are those ignorant people that can't appreciate all we're doing for them and decided to lash out by insulting my babies. Even upon waking, I didn't think my reaction was unreasonable. I picked her up by the throat, her tiny fingers clawing at my hand as she thrashed and struggled for air. She had a fight in her, and she was brave enough to confront me. What's your name? I loosened my grip enough just to let her breathe a little. Her eyes rolled in confusion and fear. What? Emily, it's, it's Emily. I rolled my eyes slightly, trying to keep the irritation out of my voice. What's your last name? Birdsong. Emily Birdsong. I couldn't help but laugh. Withers provides. I think that's close enough. Emily, I have a wonderful... Uh... She lunged forward and bit down on my other hand, getting enough of a grip to draw blood right away. I felt a flare of anger and I ripped my hand away, leaving a small chunk of meat behind. Gripping her throat tighter, I flung her back down to the asphalt with a sickening crack. That didn't sound good. It looked like she'd landed on her head. She may be out of the running for a crow position, but possibly still a hound. I jumped down and examined her. For several seconds, she was still. But then she started moving slightly, and I thought I heard a low groan. She was alive. Thank God she was alive. At least, I think. My sister loved to tell tall tales. Her wild imagination is part of the reason I love her so much. But you learn to take everything with a grain of salt when you're around someone who swears up and down that she was, quote, trapped in the house of a long-dead plumber. Or that she didn't do so well on a test because she was, quote, too busy exploring a secret government tunnel to study. I want to be clear that it's not that she's a compulsive liar or anything. 
I'd say the details are more meant to entertain, if that makes sense. They come off as more of a troll than anything. That being said, when she mentioned that there was a voice of a man coming from the shower drain, I was more than skeptical. You still have to take a shower. Dude is just going to have to deal with your filth coming down the drain, I said with a chuckle. The way she looked at me was different from how she typically responded when I challenged her tales. She just shook her head and yelled, I'm serious! Confused, I asked her what she was talking about, and suddenly tears began to form in her eyes. There were definitely times where she stuck into her stories, but never with such conviction. Either she'd gotten really good at acting, or there was actually something wrong. I promised to go inspect the drain if she'd calm down. With mixed emotions, I headed toward the bathroom. I'd be lying if I said my heart wasn't stressed to hell as I made my way inside. The silence of our own bathroom had become eerie. For a moment, even my own reflection seemed foreign. I tentatively walked toward the drain and put an ear to it. Nothing. I turned my face toward the hole and acted out a simple... Hello? The tension of that moment was enough to make me think I was going to have a damn heart attack. But as the seconds passed, I grew less and less scared. After a while of absolutely nothing, I pulled my ear back from the drain and called for my sister. Fully expecting her to come make fun of me for believing her, I immediately scolded her for wasting my time and she began arguing back about how she wasn't lying. Rolling my eyes, I told her that if she really needed an excuse not to use our bathroom, then she should have just used mom and dad's shower. It's not an excuse, she shot back. There's something in that freaking drain. I just shook my head, telling her that there was literally nothing there, and she stormed off in anger. Annoyed, I went back into our shower and did one final check to be absolutely sure there was nothing there. As expected, all I got was silence. Dumbfounded that I even entertained such a ridiculous story for as long as I did, I figured that I might as well shower. I got ready, hopped inside, and it didn't even take a full minute for a raspy voice to make its way through the drain after I turned the water on. Get away from me, it shouted. I stood in silence. My heart was thumping through my chest. Every part of me wanted to move, but I was frozen in place. This is my fucking home, it said again. Suddenly the water stopped draining. I looked down in horror as long bony fingers began to emerge from the drain. Soon a hand followed and then an arm. Somehow he was squeezing himself through that tiny hole as if his body had no skeleton. With lightning quickness it grabbed my ankle and tried yanking me towards the drain. I only managed to keep my balance by grabbing onto the shower rack and kicking away his hand. Broken from my stupor, I bolted out of the bathroom screaming for my parents. I heard the bathroom door slam behind me just as they came around the corner. In a panic, I tried to tell my dad what happened, but all I could get out was, man, bathroom, before having a mini panic attack. My parents spent the next five minutes trying to calm me down, and even then, by the time I stopped panicking, all I could do was point to the door. 
Confused, my dad grabbed a metal bat from my nearby closet. Coming back into the bathroom door, he raided his weapon, determined to get whoever the hell it was out of our house. But as he opened the door, his jaw and the bat dropped to the floor. A man was sitting in a fetal position, upside down on the bathroom ceiling. He was a meek, emaciated man. He had dirty, yellowing skin, dangling strands of black hair. His head had to be twice the size of a normal human being's, and it hung forward with skin that somehow managed to defy gravity, giving him a low-hanging scowl. His small, crusted-over eyes darted to my dad, and in his weak voice he calmly said, Get out of my home. What the fuck? My dad whispered in fear. Everybody out! My mom took one peek inside the bathroom without saying a word, ran to get my sister before taking us outside. My dad followed soon after and made us all get into the family car. Within ten minutes, we were at the police station. I overheard my dad telling my mom that he got a few videos of the man and that he'd be right out. I remember waiting in the car for at least half an hour before my dad came back when, without saying a word, drove us to the nearest hotel. Things happened very quickly from there. Before we knew it, we just moved into a new apartment in a new state. Most of our stuff that we couldn't pay to have shipped to us was lost to that house. For years, my dad never told me what happened that prompted such a quick move. He wouldn't even acknowledge that the police had been by the house to investigate. I remember being so upset that we could never go back to our house. I questioned why we simply couldn't have the guy arrested and go back to being happy. But at the same time, whatever that guy was, he obviously wasn't a person that you can just move. And I knew deep down that I just, I wanted to go home. And the thought of him taking that from us with no resistance upset me. Last week, we went on a fishing trip together. It had been a decade since I moved out, and I figured now was the time to ask. I could see the reluctance on his face, but he told me that there wasn't any use in hiding what happened anymore. From what he told me, he pounded the table for an officer to look at the footage. Apparently, they took one look at the evidence and promptly deleted it. He was about to go absolutely ballistic when they stopped him and coldly stated, We know about him. He lives there, and there's nothing you can do. I'm sorry. From there, they offered him some money to move and to never speak about it to anyone. Honestly, it was a lot to process in the moment. I had so many questions, but I knew they'd never be answered. I just nodded and went back to fishing. To this day, I haven't been around that house. I refuse to even go back to that city. Unsurprisingly, I also have a thing about spending too much time in the shower. I'm just... I can't. I'm not sure if there's really a lesson here, but if there's anything I can say, it's that sometimes where you live just really isn't your space. I live in a small but lively town in Massachusetts. Local legends have fueled my love affair with the paranormal. It's a subject that fascinates me to this day. 
Coupled with insomnia, this passion led me to spend many a night at the nearby cemetery, hoping to see a ghostly apparition while walking through to pass the time. These outings, while unfruitful, void of all activity supernatural or otherwise. My dreams of stealing a glimpse at what comes after eventually subsided, but I continued to visit the graves. It was a place where I could collect my thoughts when sleep eluded me. One night, however, something changed. It was a dark spring evening. I was bored, couldn't sleep, and felt the need to do something outdoors in the cool night air. Sometimes I was even tempted to set up camp there and sleep amongst the dead. Knowing this would be frowned upon and perhaps morbid, I settled for my walks. They were enough to make me at least somewhat wary by night's end. After a couple of hours there, I decided on one last stroll along the headstones in an attempt to become tired before heading home. Upon starting my walk, I noticed something. There was a light on the groundkeeper's shack. It wasn't like him to be working so late. This wasn't completely out of the ordinary until you factored in the large, gaping hole nearby, big enough for several caskets. It was a miracle I hadn't fallen into it earlier that night. Curious as to what the old man was up to, I crept over to the shack, making my way to the busted window on its side. What I saw was strange. Inside were nine men wearing tattered blue shrouds, partaking in a makeshift feast. The main course was an oily red stew with a horrific smell that permeated the shack's walls and ventured up my nasal passages, tempting me to gag. The men winced when putting it to the lips, save for three, a tall man at the end of the table with two sat beside him. When the feast was over, this tall figure stood up and addressed the room. Hello, newcomers. I hope dinner has been to your liking. He spoke with a firm voice. It resonated throughout the shack and beckoned even me to listen. Now that our bellies are full, Elijah will explain the rules of your impending trial. I listened closely. It seemed the men in the shack were part of a collective known as the Bloodlights. The trial the tall man spoke of was something akin to a medieval gladiator sport used to initiate new members. I listened on as Elijah divulged in the game's inner workings, fearful but curious. Two teams were dispersed to opposite sides of the cemetery, each consisting of four members, three blood runners and one blood baron. The initiates would be the runners, and the tall men's henchmen would act as barons. There was one more participant to be discussed, the tall man himself. He was the blood keeper. Though not on either team, he was the most crucial facet of the game. He kept and guarded what was referred to as the blood. I gathered that this referred to the red amulet hanging from the keeper's neck, as he firmly clasped it every time the word blood was uttered. The job of the runners was to retrieve the blood from the keeper. The barons acted as counsel, overseeing each team and helping them where needed. After Elijah finished his lecture, the bloodkeeper took over. With every wound, there is blood. With every drop of blood, there is solace. Without death, there can be no light. 
The keeper opened a large cupboard in the corner of the shack, revealing a woman, bound and gagged, futilely attempting to cry out for help. My heart sank. This was not your run-of-the-mill cult ritual. I had to find help, but what if they heard me? Unable to nail down my next course of action, I was immobile, frozen in fear. The bloodkeeper continued. The light of blood can only be seen in death. Pulling a large red dagger out from his cloak, he grabbed the woman and plunged it into her gut. I watched in horror as the life left her eyes. She began to shriek, but was soon cut off by a cut to the chest, followed by a final blow below her neck. I was mortified. After throwing his kill to the floor, the keeper pulled out three vials, filling each of them with the blood that dripped from his blade. This was the blood the runners were after, not the amulet. This is all the blood I have to offer. That gives, at most, three of you the opportunity to become bloodlights. And remember, you are being watched. Those who fail to collect must be disposed of. The same goes for any outsider you encounter. Corpses are to be thrown into the pit. Dear God, I truly was in danger. That's what the nearby hole was for perfect hiding spot for a mass grave. You must stop at nothing to attain one of these vials. All others will be sacrificed. Your thirst for blood must be as strong as your will to live. The men exited the shack to begin the trial. I scurried silently to the wooded part of the graveyard and hid behind a large tree, not wanting to end up like that poor woman. I just needed an opening to escape without being noticed. Glancing out at the cemetery, I saw a runner knelt before a grave, eyes closed. I assumed this was a requirement before the game commenced. Perfect chance for me to make a run for it. Let the trial begin. The bloodkeeper's voice echoed through the trees before I could even take a single step towards safety. My survival still hung in the balance. Using a moonlit pool of water by my feet as a reflective surface, I watched as Elijah and the three runners strategized just ten yards from my position. My heart was pounding so hard, I was worried they would hear it. Between the beating of my chest and the conspiring whispers that filled the forest, my ears were consumed with an unsettling symphony of torture. Just when I couldn't bear another moment, silence cut through the brisk night air like the keeper's dagger piercing that woman's skin. A chill then burrowed into my spine. The bottle's reflection bore no cloaked figures. Peering out from behind the tree confirmed that they were gone, or at least nowhere to be seen. Looking off into the distance, I saw a tomb by the main road, maybe a hundred yards away. It would provide the perfect cover to escape towards civilization, but there was no way I could waltz over there without being seen. The woods wrapped around the cemetery, so running from tree to tree would strengthen my odds of survival. I took a deep breath and braced myself without so much as a second thought. I dashed to the next tree on the path of safety and took cover. I then gathered my wits and surveyed my surroundings. No cloaks in sight. I sprinted to the next tree and took another glimpse out of the world. The coast was still clear. 
As I was about to take off in the direction of my next hiding spot, panic set in as my feet inexplicably left solid ground. My blood ran cold as I was lifted into the air by some unseen force. The next thing I knew, my body was hoisted up and placed atop a tree branch. There, I was greeted by the unnerving sight of my captor. A blood runner. I didn't scream and try to get away. It'd be no use. I sat there in terror and exhaled at what I thought would be my last breath. Instead of gutting me, the man spoke. What's your name? I was too shocked to respond. Come on now, who are you? He spoke clearer this time, revealing a slight English accent. Look, I noticed you at the window over there eavesdropping. If I wanted you down, I could have killed you then. I want you to help me. Help you? I asked. Yes. I'm going to use you to my advantage. I take it you know what we're doing here, and you know the rules of the game? I nodded slowly, still shook. Good. With you, I may be able to turn the tables and get the upper hand. I was frightened, but calmed down enough to focus on the runner's plan. See that tomb over there? That's where the bloodkeeper is. My stomach turned to think this guy may have just saved my life. I needed to go over to the tomb and open the door slowly. The bloodkeeper will surely take a swing at you. Just as he's about to end your life, I'll swoop in and end his. But why? I asked. That's not part of the game. Right you are. You need not concern yourself with the why. Just know that if you don't play and do as I say, I'll kill you myself. Now, get going. The man gave me his cloak for protection and pushed me out of the tree. I didn't want to risk facing the bloodkeeper, but I didn't want to perish at the runner's hands either. My fear of dying kept me from deviating. I again ran from tree to tree, eventually making it to my destination, the stench of bloodshed wafting through the air as the runners fought for control over the field. With my back pressed to the cold, aged stone, the pull to escape grew. The main road was in reach, but the thought quickly subsided. I was far too worried the Englishman would catch up to me and take his prize. He was able to climb a tree and lift my weight without a sound. It was clear he possessed the agility to stealth and needed to take me by surprise during a haphazard run for the hills. I sighed in defeat, knowing that one way or another I'd probably die that night. Mustering up every bit of courage I had left, I crept around the tomb and faced the door. My shaking hands reached for the rusted handle and pulled it towards me. Before the hinges could even creak at the motion, the door burst open, pushed from within. The force knocked me over, my head connecting with the unforgiving ground. The moments that came after remained fuzzy. The bloodkeeper towered over me, half of his body in shadow, the other soaked in moonlight. A vision of death there to steal the blood from my racing heart. My eyes grew weary and shut for an instant before opening to see another figure. I couldn't make out who was who in my dazed state, but one attacked the other, completely overpowering them. The prey in this scuffle fell to his knees before landing face-first into the cold cemetery soil. The familiar sound of metal colliding with flesh rang through the air as the victor saw to it the job was done. 
I prayed it was the Blood Keeper being torn apart. Otherwise, I was a goner. My eyes shut again before unconsciousness finally took hold. Hey, you alright? I heard an older man's voice as I came to. Are you okay? I opened my eyes to see who it was. The groundskeeper stood over me, holding a lantern to my face. What? How? Where are they? Where's who? he asked. You don't understand. I should be dead. The groundskeeper stared at me confused, but then smiled. Come on, you'll catch a cold out there. The groundskeeper, who I now know to be Pete, invited me into a shack. He prepared some food and tossed me a blanket to keep warm. Thankful and in need of an ear to fill, I told him everything, despite how I knew it would sound. I didn't describe the men by their given titles, but Pete seemed to know who I was talking about. Sounds like you had a run-in with the bloodkeeper. That's him, how do you know? His spirit's been visiting these grounds for over a hundred years, I suppose. His spirit. Incredible. It was all a haunting, something I always thought I wanted to experience firsthand. Pete and I talked for a while. He knew all about the bloodlights and their dastardly deeds. Apparently, they were a sadistic cult that formed around the 1800s, terrorizing the local community. Each bloodlight initiation brought with it more disappearances. They used the cemetery as a space for their trails, burying casualties and sacrifices at the end of every night. After all, who would look for the bodies in a graveyard? Over 50 souls fell victim to the bloodlights before their sinister games were brought to a halt. During their last outing, an Englishman infiltrated their ranks and killed the bloodkeeper, avenging the death of his wife who had been murdered during one of their trials. Soon after, his disciples came forward, claiming to have been controlled by the keeper's amulet, alleging that it had supernatural powers. No such amulet was ever recovered. After Pete explained everything, I sat in awe, dumbstruck by the whole ordeal. Had I relived that fateful night, or did I time travel and help that man fulfill his goal? I may never know what happened that day, but one thing is certain. I'll never visit another cemetery for as long as I live, just in case the ghost of the Bloodkeeper is still out there, making his rounds. <laughs>